0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. Hello, and welcome to episode number 186 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports. Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Trapoti, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline as always. And the 2021 NFL draft has come and gone with plenty of surprises, both good and bad. Tony, I know the work for 2022 starts soon enough, but where's your head at now, a few days removed from this year's draft? Still a little
0: bit tired and actually a little bit bored because really, for the next couple of weeks, There's not much to do except accumulate the lists, uh, accumulate the names and get the lists ready for uh, 2022, which I will begin the film work probably the middle of May, although the middle of May is right around the corner. So uh, still recovering. A lot of work out there with Pro Football Network. We did a good job, but it was, you know, it's pretty tiring. Not too much sleep.
1: And now we will get to this week's show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. No more NFL draft odds, which really is a shame because if you listened to Tony's suggestions to take Najee Harris as the first running back off the board or to bet Justin Fields or Trey Lance going number three to San Francisco, you'd have more than doubled your money, even with some losses on fields. So, Tony, What does your expertise have for us now? Do we have any Heisman hopefuls to maybe unseat Spencer Rattler at four to one odds? You know, I don't know about the Heisman, but as far as the 2022 draft
0: is concerned, remember the name Carson Strong quarterback from Nevada.
1: The guy we'll surely be talking about in the months to come. And you can head on to the website betonline.ag to look for anything Carson Strong related. And you can use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. online your online sportsbook experts. Now, before we get to which teams did the best work on draft night, or should I say the three days of the draft, we'll also review all the positions for you. We're going to just kind of start at the top here because we kind of knew the top two picks weeks in advance. We knew it was going to be Trevor Lawrence to Jacksonville. We knew it was going to be Zach Wilson to the Jets. The teams did do a good job keeping those picks under wraps, you know, no official announcements, but everyone knew where those teams were going. Now at number three, There was lots of conjecture, a lot of talk about Mac Jones being the favorite to go. Well, Trey Lance was the pick, and I think many were surprised by that for San Francisco. Mac Jones was the betting favorite as well, and really many credible reporters were saying that was going to be the pick. Tony and I, though, we were never sold on it here. As our ad said earlier, Tony did tell you to bet on Lance going number three, and the reality is nobody, especially in today's NFL, trades three first-round picks for a quarterback who lacks both elite athleticism and elite arm talent. There's just no need to make a move up the board like that unless you're looking for a guy that can be, you know, a franchise changer or a dual threat type of player. No need to do that if the pick is Mac Jones. So they kind of telegraphed that a little bit, even though they were sending out kind of signals and smoke screens in other directions. No other real huge surprises in the top 10 of the draft, though. Maybe you can call J.C. Horn over Patrick Sertan a surprise. But Tony said last show, uh, you said, what, what was it? You had to hold your nose not to rank Horn over Sertan. Do you wish you kind of did in hindsight? Uh, I did, uh, you know, it, it was nip and tuck all along, but as I said, all,
0: you know, really for the past month and a half, even though I had Sertain graded slightly higher than JC Horn, I do believe that JC Horn is going to be the better player, uh, two or three years down the road. I, I thought Carolina made a, made a sensational pick. In fact, I think that Carolina had an outstanding draft. I mean, Sertain in round one, Terrace Marshall in, in the second round, Phil's need needed receiver. And we all know that LSU receivers are usually better in the NFL than they are on the college level. Brady Christensen, a developmental tackle in round three, Tommy Tremble, developmental tight end in round three, you know, good value in Davion Nixon in round five, great value in shy Smith, the receiver return specialist, who is a great fit for that offense there. And let's not forget, you know, Sam Darnold is part of this draft as well, because though he wasn't a selection, I mean, it was an offseason move that everyone I speak to, speaks
1: highly of or thinks highly of and thinks thinks it's really going to work out in the, in the uh, Panthers favor. Yeah. And I mean, even though we are jet fans and the jets got rid of Sam Darnold, we are still rooting for him because as we've said on this show before, you know, he really got a raw deal, whether it was the front office, not really supporting him with pieces around him or whether it was, you know, Adam Gase coming in and and kind of torpedoing his progress. Um, You know, All the best to Sam Darnold. And again, he's got a lot of options in Carolina now, including Terrence Marshall Jr. Like you mentioned, uh, Christian McCaffrey and all those other receivers. So it is do or tie time for Sam Darnold. But I think we both think that he certainly can do in his current situation. And ironically, we said on last year's show that a big surprise was the Jets actually doing smart things in the draft, whether it was trading down and still getting Denzel Mims, just adding picks all over the place and making good picks with the ones they had. Well, they did smart things again this year, showing that, They kind of understand the need to give a rookie quarterback help, which the prior regime, as I just mentioned, did not do to help Sam Darnold. So Joe Douglas obviously knows what he's doing. We could probably just stop saying that good work is a surprise at this point. We'll kind of hit the Jets a little bit more when we do our AFC East review in the coming weeks. But, Tony, you already mentioned the Panthers. Who do you think did the best job in this year's draft? Give me three teams.
0: Well, the, I, I, the Panthers are number one on my board. There's no doubt about it when you include Sam Darnold. I love what the uh, Colts did. I mean, the fact that the Giants passed up on Quiddy Pay, and there's Chris Ballard, one of my favorite GMs, grabbing him in the first round. They get the Vanderbilt kid in the second round. It's a bit of a risk because of his uh, injury, but I've been in love with uh, Deo Diabingo really from the get-go. He is a tremendous three down defensive lineman that I think they probably can kick inside on occasion. Kylan Granson is a terrific fit for that offense. Michael Strachan in the seventh round, I think was worth the roll of the dice. I, I, I mean, overall it's a solid class, but Quitty pay really uh, puts it ahead uh, at the top or near the top for me. I also like what the Minnesota Vikings did. I think the Vikings got good value. They traded down. With the Jets, they still came away with the player that they wanted in Christian Darasaw. They got a developmental tackle. Uh, They got a developmental quarterback in the third round in Calamon. And they came away with two terrific players, Chas Surratt and Wyatt Davis, who I think will be starters. I thought that they took uh, Patrick Jones and the Iowa State running back a little bit too soon. But Cameron Bynum, one of our favorites in the fourth round. Smith Morissette, the receiver from Iowa in the fifth round. Zach Davison, who we had on the show in the fifth round, I think those are all outstanding picks.
1: Yeah, I mean, Minnesota, I mean, just just the trade for Darasol alone. I mean, what they were able to get from the Jets and still get their guy. I mean, the Jets kind of did that last year with Denzel Mims. This year, Minnesota does it to the Jets. Obviously, I get why the Jets moved up and they got a very good player uh, out of it in their own right with Elijah Vera Tucker. But, I mean, the reality is Minnesota got the third best tackle off the board. He was the fourth tackle taken in the draft. We'll get to that more later when we talk positionally. But yeah, Minnesota did an excellent job. Indy didn't have a lot of picks, but the picks that they had, they did make count. So that was kind of a good job on their part as well. I like what Cleveland did personally. I thought Greg Newsom was pretty good value at the end of the first round. Not outstanding value but fills a need for them he's a good solid player the great value for them really came in round two with jeremiah uwusu koromoa you know a guy who felt due to some medical concerns but i mean this is a three down linebacker going in the late second round uh so that, that's you know just an outstanding home run type of pick for cleveland anthony schwartz in the third round fills a need with a speed guy in the role that they need him in nice value in round four for them with james hudson and tommy togie uh richard LeCount. In round five, I know we talked about kind of his tragic pro day, kind of tanking his value, but the dude can play football. At the very least, he's a really good special teamer, but definitely has a chance to impact on defense as well. You just kind of have to cover up for that lack of speed. Even Demetric Felton in the seventh round was good value. So really for Cleveland, I thought every pick besides Tony Fields in the fifth round was a pretty good value pick for the Browns.
0: And, and Fields wasn't a bad pick because he fits the system. I mean, he is an inside running chase linebacker that – really sells out, and is very good in pursuit against a run. Owusu Koromora, most people thought he was going to go in round one. Obviously, you mentioned the medicals. The other issue with with Koromora was the fact that he's small. I mean, he is your typical safety-sized linebacker to the point where his playing weight was about 212 pounds, and he never ran for scouts at the Notre Dame Pro Day. Had a hamstring issue, never ran. So when you're looking at a smaller-type linebacker, and you don't have a 40-time on the guy, even though he plays fast, uh, that's going to be a red flag, and that's going to uh, further push him down draft boards, which is what happened with the U- 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 Sikora Mora. I agree with you about Schwartz. I like the uh, Hudson pick. Demetric Felton, it's interesting because they have him listed at wide receiver. Now, let's see what if they play him at wide receiver. I've thought all along Felton is going to be a very good situational running back at the next level. I have my concerns about him playing receiver, He was okay at it during the senior bowl. I thought it was a mistake not to play him at the running back uh, uh, during senior bowl practices, but he's a talented skill player and he's a real good football player, though.
1: He's not a great athlete. Another team I thought did pretty well was the Denver Broncos. Their first four picks, Patrick Sertan in the first round, Javante Williams near the top of round two Quinn Miners, and then Baron Browning as well. All those picks are good value, fill positions of need for them and guys who really should be able to help out immediately Jamar Johnson in round five. I mean, we talked about him being similar to John Johnson recently, even if he's half of what John Johnson is in the NFL, that's going to end up being a great pick. Seth Williams in the sixth round, Kerry Vincent Jr. in the seventh round. Both of those guys could have probably gone several rounds earlier and nobody would have batted an eye about it. Obviously Williams had his share of inconsistencies this past year. That's why he went behind his teammate, Anthony Schwartz, which heading into the season, nobody would have had Anthony Schwartz going ahead of Seth Williams, but even still to get a guy, like that in the sixth round, pretty good value, good mix of real quality and quantity here for Denver. You know, it looks even better if they can
0: pull a trade off for Aaron Rodgers, considering that they passed on a couple of quarterbacks with that ninth pick. Uh, Jamar Johnson fell because there were off the field character issues about him. Plus he had a poor pro day, ran four five eight uh, during his pro day time. I'm told that the off the field issue character issues are behind him. He's a real good, he's a smart uh, safety. Reminds me a lot of John Johnson who just signed a a massive contract with the aforementioned Cleveland Browns, the uh, former Boston College safety. Uh, I, I think Kerry Vincent was a massive steal in the seventh round. I think he's a guy who projects really well as a dime, if not a nickel back at the next level. I thought he really should have been a early part of day three guy. But again, you're looking at a situation where a talented guy who had a real good college career, who
1: opted out last season. And I think that fact hurt his draft stock. Now the third team that I'm going to say did a really good job is the New York Giants. Um, I know the Kadarius Tony pick kind of shocked a lot of people, um, but the reality is they moved down nine spots. They got a first round pick next year from a team that is no guarantee to make the playoffs. I know the Bears were eight and eight last year, and you know they just drafted Justin Fields, who you know we love here, and we think that was an excellent move. Uh, but the reality is, if Andy Dalton starts the season under center or the defense regresses a little bit, that could be a mid first round pick uh, to move down nine spots. And they also got a fourth round pick and. They're helping out their quarterback. They have three traditional receivers, Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, and Darius Slayton. um, But Kadarius Toney is not a traditional wide receiver. He's a guy that they're going to use all around the formation. They're going to use him on reverses. They might even throw him in the backfield here and there. Um, You know, they might imagine formations with Saquon Barkley and Kadarius Toney in the backfield. So as long as they're able to get creative, which, you know, with Jason Garrett as your offensive coordinator, there's certainly questions about that. But if they're willing to get creative and use Kadarius Toney the way he should be used, that could end up being a decent pick, even though the value wasn't amazing on it. Uh, Aziz Ojolari in the second round, just, just a home run pick. I mean, this is a guy that could be the best pass rusher in the draft he has that kind of upside and they traded back eight picks still got their guy got a round three pick next year as well and then in rounds three and four Aaron Robinson and Ellerson Smith were pretty good values Rodarius Williams is a solid player that they got in the sixth round at least better than the pick they got him at outside the top 200 so I mean I'm not one to really go out of my way to credit Dave Gettleman when I don't have to but here we are I have my concerns about the Tony pick, primarily because of the fact that everyone wants to say
0: he's a playmaker and he played incredibly well at Florida this year. But the fact of the matter is this: you know, opponents were lining their best defensive backs up against Kyle Pitts. They were not lining them up against Kadarius Tony, which made his life a lot easier. Now, granted, he's not going to be a number one receiver. You know, you kind of chuckled about Jason Garrett. Remember, Jason Garrett had Tavon Austin. Another gadget type of player and never really used him correctly. So I thought Quiddy Pay would have been the better selection there. Granted, you know, they may ease that concern with Zizo Ojolari. I had been reporting, uh, you know, in the week leading up to the draft at Pro Football Network that there were major red flags on Aziz Ojolari. I would have never thought he would have lasted to the bottom half of round two he really didn't miss any time because of the injuries. It's just a degenerative condition that their concern could affect him two or three years down the road. You know what? If if, if Ojalary stays healthy and and plays up to his level of ability, the jokes on the rest of the league and the giants, as you said, got an absolute steal. I also think Ellerson Smith in round four was a terrific bargain.
1: Now we'll move on here to go over each position and kind of just, you know, a bird's eye view of, of what happened at the positions, anything that was surprising. And really with the quarterbacks, no real surprises in terms of where they went in the draft. I guess Ian book in round four is probably a bit higher than we had him pegged as more of a late day three guy, but assuming his interviews with teams were as impressive as his interview with us, which you can listen to on episode 175 of the podcast, that probably played heavily into that pick. Plus if the saints end up starting Taysom Hill, Book's kind of like a like-for-like type of replacement where he can step in mid-game and run the same game plan, whereas they would have to completely change the game plan uh, to go to Jameis Winston. They can do that the following weeks if they start Hill and he were to get hurt and miss multiple weeks, anything like that. My biggest surprise, though, we kind of alluded to it already, Ryan Pace doing something smart and trading up for Justin Fields. Yes, he gave up a lot, but I mean, this is a guy in normal drafts would be a candidate to go number one overall. I don't think I'm being bold when I say that this really could be the move that saves Ryan Pace's job, which at this point is hanging by an absolute thread. I
0: mean, maybe we'll see. <laughs> Nick Foles is what saved the, uh, job, the, everyone's job out there in Chicago. You know, I, I don't know that you're going to be relying on Justin Fields to win a lot of games for you uh, next season. But as I had said in the week leading up to the draft, everything I got coming out of Chicago, people, talking to people, was there was almost a sense of desperation uh, from that organization to come away with a quarterback within the first two rounds. Uh, Ian Book, I would agree. I, I mean, I had heard that Ian Book was going to go much earlier uh, than people were anticipating, that people like myself were uh, regretting him, and he did. As Chris said, listen to the interview. If you are a uh, New Orleans Saints fan, you're going to fall in love with this guy. I think it's kind of a strange pick because, like you said, it's another Taysom Hill selection. Now, granted, they signed Taysom Hill, to a What was it? A four year, $60 million deal, but it's really a one year deal when you break it down. Uh, you know that they keep getting this, putting these patchwork pieces together at the quarterback position in New Orleans, when they really need a number one guy moving forward, as much as I like book as much as I want him to succeed. I don't know that he's that number one guy
1: moving forward. Now the biggest surprise for me at the running back position Besides the landing spot for Travis Etienne, although, you know, he's a good fit for Urban Meyer's system, but just surprising after what James Robinson did last season to see Etienne go to the first round to Jacksonville. But it has to be Kenny Nguangwe. Uh I butchered his name, I'm sure, but I think you agree with this one, Tony, since you had him in your rankings outside of your top 450 players. He went in the top 120 picks. Obviously, his pro day was outstanding, but this is a guy with 143 career carries and seven career catches. So it's purely a bet on athleticism and blazing home run speed for the Vikings. Nuagu actually tested better than Javion Hawkins at 25 pounds heavier. And maybe that's part of why Hawkins fell completely out of the draft. Maybe teams didn't want a 180 pound running back with 21 career receptions who didn't run a sub 4440, but it's still surprising that he didn't even go in round seven, especially when a guy like Gary Brightwell from Arizona goes in round six. Kenneth Gainwell is another guy that fell a bit further than expected. And as I said last year, I said it was surprising that we only saw 17 running backs drafted only 18 went this year. I know it wasn't a great running back class, but it does feel like fewer than 20 running backs in the draft, maybe kind of the new norm now moving forward with the position continuing to be devalued. What shocked me was only two running backs went
0: on day two of the draft. Michael Carter, I thought would be a day two pick fourth round pick by by the New York Jets. Kenneth Gainwell, who I thought would be a, a third round pick fifth round selection uh, of the Philadelphia Eagles. I thought maybe Ramondre Stevenson, although I wasn't very high on him, could slide into the third round, fourth round pick of the New England Patriots. So uh, you had two first round picks and then you had two backs go on day two of the draft. I thought there would have been more, especially in that third round area. Uh, doesn't surprise me that Jared Patterson fell out of the draft. You know, five foot six, five foot six and change, was timed as slow as in the four sevens during its pro day. And if you really watch the film, The production was primarily the fact that he was running through holes that a Mack truck could have gotten through. I agree with you about the Iowa State back. I was very happy to see Jake Funk be selected. I wrote an article the week before the draft about how Jake Funk was moving up draft boards. There was a chance he may get selected in the later rounds. He was selected in the seventh round by the Los Angeles Rams, a guy who just had a lot of injury issues early
1: in his his college career at Maryland, but really put it together last year when he was on the field. Now, looking at the wide receivers, Terrace Marshall Jr.'s fall, as we discussed earlier, surprised many, but medicals are going to do that to a lot of players on draft day. Just a great job overall by Carolina grabbing him at the end of round two. Marshall, he's not DK Metcalf, but kind of feels like a similar type of situation where teams will regret passing on Marshall if he stays on the field, probably not to the extent of Metcalf, but still a definite steal. Tylen Wallace is a guy who also fell due to medicals. Ravens scoop him up in round four. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown also fell around for no medical reason with him though. Just probably, you know, not that big, not that fast. It's just a solid receiver, but I still think he probably should have gone on the second day. What was surprising to me though, some of the guys who went undrafted, a couple senior bowl guys who stood out and Cade Johnson and Austin Watkins, Tamari and Terry fell all the way out of the draft. Good job by the Seahawks scooping him up tons of talent. And obviously just kind of derailed by what's been going on at Florida state the past few seasons, Tony, anything I missed? Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, I had Terry, I believe, as a fifth round pick. The thing
0: about Terry is his best football was two years ago. I, you know, as a uh, as a sophomore, or as a, I should say, as a redshirt freshman, really didn't show a lot of improvement in his game. I would agree with you, Austin Watkins Jr. Uh, who had a great senior bowl week of practice and Cade Johnson falling out of the draft was, uh, was surprising. I'm glad to see Josh Palmer went as early as he did round three to the charges, did not have a good senior season, but that was as much due to the fact that it was just the, the university of Tennessee had such poor quarterback play as much as anything else. I, I mentioned earlier about shy Smith going in the sixth round. I think that was an absolute steal. Uh, Jalen camp, the Jaguars taking him in round six, interesting
1: pick, High upside, but is going to need a lot of work on his game. Nothing too surprising at the tight end position. We did talk about Brevin Jordan falling before the draft. Round five does seem like it was a bit far for him, though. Bit surprised Kenny Yeboa didn't get picked at all, but Joe Douglas did well to scoop him up for the Jets after the draft. Anything you didn't expect to see here, Tony?
0: I thought Yaboa was going to get selected. I thought Yaboa deserved to get selected. Now, what I was told was the fact that he never ran before the draft is what really hurt him, what really put the Lance in any opportunity he had of being selected. Uh, just a refresher. What, what happened was he pulled up during his first attempt at the 40. He had been running in the four or fives and the low four or fives. I'm told even the high four fours in training But he pulled his hamstring. They were going to try and get a workout in before the draft, but he was not 100%. They were concerned that if they ran him before the draft and he re hurt that hamstring, he would be out for mini camp and it would be a long process. I'm told that really, short of your Boa's leg falling off between now and September, there's no way he's not going to make the Jets roster. They love him that much. I don't know why they didn't use a uh, draft pick on him. But what sources have told me was as far as the Jets roster is concerned, I, I mean, it's Trevon Wesco, maybe Christopher Herndon, and then Kenya Uboa. They're ready to get rid of Ryan Griffin. They got Tyler Croft in free agency. Who knows if he's going to be able to stay healthy. But it would be a shock right now from what I'm told inside the organization that Kenny Uboa is not on the Jets active roster come, uh,
1: uh, come this fall if he's healthy. Now, moving on to the offensive line and taking a look at the tackle position where Alex Leatherwood over Christian Darasaw. I mean, we like Leatherwood here. We do. But I'm sorry, that that's terrible. The Raiders' pain is the Vikings' gain, though, I guess, in this situation. I mean, Dyrusaw is a guy we've been pumping as a first-round pick since last year. So, you know, this Leatherwood over Dyrusaw, I don't really get it. Uh, that pick did also kind of bump Tevin Jenkins down the board a little bit, where, again, the Bears aggressively come up to take him at the beginning of the second round. No other real massive surprises, at least for me, in terms of where players went. I know some people were surprised that Josh Ball went where he did, but as we've discussed before, the guy has day two talent. You just have to be comfortable with the undrafted free agent level, you know, character baggage from earlier in his career. But we all know that Dallas is one to kind of stop reading the scouting report at the character section. Stone Forsythe going round six was a bit surprising to me, though. We did kind of talk recently about him rising up draft boards. So to see him fall and fall to the later portions of round six was a bit of a shock.
0: I guess. I mean, Forsyth is one of those guys that I make the mistake every year. I go against what I'm thinking. I go against my instinct. I go against my notes and I see what other people are saying, specifically people I trust. And I'm like, maybe I'm grading him a little bit too late because I had the guy as a fifth, sixth round pick all along. I moved them up to the fourth round. It's not a surprise to me. Alex Leatherwood's not a surprise to me because the Raiders took him. <laughs> I mean, the Raiders, year after year, Cleveland Farrell, Damon Arnett, who's got one foot out the door. Uh, I mean, they make these wild picks. I like Leatherwood, you know, and and Mike Mayock said they had a trade on the board or they had a trade offer to move down, but he wasn't going to move down because he didn't think he was getting good value for the pick. That's okay. But I'm sure whatever he would have gotten in return, Alex Leatherwood would have been there for the Raiders later on. Tevin Jenkins fell out of the first round. Did not interview well. I'm told that uh, he just didn't show a lot of confidence, which is kind of strange considering the way he plays. I was very happy to see uh, Walker Little go go where he did. And William Sherman, selected in the sixth round by the New England Patriots at offensive tackle. I like Sherman. We've talked about him really in summer of 2020. We spoke about him here. I like him more as a zone blocking guard, potentially as a center. I'll be watching to see where the Patriots line them up. They do like those smaller athletic tackle types on the left side. So uh, it
1: wouldn't be a surprise if they kept them there. Now moving on to the interior offensive line here, where Philadelphia was obviously comfortable with Landon Dickerson's medicals to take him at 37 overall. It really only takes one team to take a player like that who could fall further down the draft board. Philly was the one to take him here. The talent's there, but serious medical concerns really throughout his career, I don't know if he ever actually finished a season healthy, but if he does stay healthy, could be an all right pick for Philly. Conversely, you have Creed Humphrey falling to the Chiefs at 63. That's stealing right there for a team that we saw in the Super Bowl needed offensive line help in the worst way. Jackson Carmen in round two announces as a guard, bit of a surprising pick there for Cincinnati, but really here the story is Trey Smith's fall. We knew that there were going to be concerns around his health, but falling deep into round six, where again, here come the chiefs to scoop up a falling offensive lineman, at great value. Just interesting to see how medicals can affect someone like Landon Dickerson in this case, not at all compared to someone like Trey Smith, where every single team passed on him multiple times. Yeah. Well, you're talking about med- a medical issue versus injury
0: history. So it, it's understandable. Although, uh, you know, Trey Smith was was healthy last year. There's no reason to believe why he won't be healthy moving forward. Uh, if the blood clots are under control. And if so, the Kansas City Chiefs, who have almost completely revamped their entire offensive line in the offseason via free agency, via trade, via the draft, and have done a great job of it. Uh, really, the, the weakness in last year's Super Bowl. So credit to them. Uh, the, as far as Landon Dickinson is concerned, a lot of risk throughout the Eagles' entire draft. You know, a, a lot of Jet fans were very upset because the Jets traded up to take Elijah Vera Tucker, which is something that I had written in the notes before the draft started on Friday night. I said that the Jets were going to move up if one of the top offensive linemen, Slater or Vera Tucker, fell. He's a mobile guy. He's coming off a sensational season. You know, you put him inside a guard. He fits the offense. Zone blocker who plays with a nasty attitude. The arrows pointing up. I had absolutely
1: no problem with that Jets trade. Yeah, I agree completely. When I actually went in to to check on my son, I came back out, and I see the Jets are on the clock, and I'm like, oh, well, what happened? Uh, I mean, they gave up a lot, but again, they move up to secure a player who, as you said, fits the system. He's a very talented player, and he fits their need. Um, You know, I was thinking, oh, pick 23. Maybe you can look at a guy like Christian Darasaw. Obviously, you have Mekhi Becton locked in on the left side, but Darasaw is athletic enough. You can move him to the right, but I understand why they went For an interior offensive lineman, as you said, Rashawn Slater could have been an option in this case, he went a pick before. So they move up, they take Elijah Vera Tucker. I mean, the fact is Joe Douglas had a plan and he said, you know what, we're going to take our quarterback early and we're going to support him with an offensive lineman in the first round as well. We're going to support him with a wide receiver in the second round, a playmaking wide receiver in Elijah Moore. So, I mean, you look at that and you look at the fact that, you know what? They got a lot of draft capital last year from trading back. Sometimes you need to take that capital and you need to move up with it when you have a player that there's a tear break after, which if you're looking at the guard position, you don't get Elijah Vera Tucker. You're not getting another guard at 23 unless you're reaching pretty severely. The lesson here, Chris is, You should
0: have been paying attention to Pro Football Network. You would have known that the Jets were were looking to move up to take Vera Tucker.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, Tony. Uh, We'll get to the defensive side of the ball next after this brief message. April has passed, but the rain has not, at least not in New York. But all that means is that you have more time, especially if you live in New York, to get your sunglasses in order for the upcoming summer, which you should do with our partners at Canaan. It's time to make your outdoor experiences better with Canaan. Kanan
0: sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity.
1: They're also made with Japanese optics that make their lenses clearer, lighter, and stronger. Plus, Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. And take it from this pair of Italians. Use the exclusive code kanancast 15
0: at kanan.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's kanancast 15 at kanan.com. Kanan,
1: clearly better. Now, no real shocks when you look at the early picks on the interior defensive line. Tommy Togiai and Davion Nixon in rounds four and five were a little surprising to watch fall. Tony mentioned Nixon going to the Panthers a bit earlier. Obviously, he's probably a bigger surprise than Togiai just because he went around later at the very least. Good to see Isaiah Loudermilk, friend of the show, go early in round five. Go check out our interview with him if you want to find out more about Loudermilk. No Marvin Wilson at all in the draft. Not even a third-day flyer. Lots of guarantees in his UDFA contract with Cleveland, though. They obviously really wanted to make sure they got their guy post-draft. They did the same thing with A.J. Green last year, if I recall correctly. Tony, anything catch you off guard on the interior line here?
0: You know, Marvin Wilson's storyline runs kind of parallel to Tamari and Terry. His best football was two years ago, and he really didn't show much improvement in his game. He kind of fell off, which is why he fell out of the draft. I was very surprised that Phil Hoskins of Kentucky was selected at all. I had him basically as a street-free agent. Uh, so for the uh, the Panthers to take him, even with the seventh round pick, uh, was a bit surprising to me. As, as far as the defensive ends are concerned, you know, Peyton Turner going in round one to the New Orleans Saints was slightly surprising. I had been writing all week about how he's moving up draft boards. I really thought the only team that could take a flyer
1: on him in round one was Tampa Bay, but the Saints pulled another shocker. Yeah, I mean the, the Saints tend to do that. In drafts, they tend to you know, make picks, whether it was the Davenport pick a couple of years ago. Here is Peyton Turner. Uh, definitely a surprise, for sure, to see Turner go that high. We knew that Carlos Basham wasn't going as high as we had him rated, but still surprising to see him fall outside the top 50. Second straight year that the Bills take a defensive end. That's falling last year it was A.J. Appanessa. Obviously, Aziz Ojolari at pick 50 we discussed earlier. Just, you know, the upside is, is palpable there. Really should have been a first-rounder in terms of just talent. I didn't really expect Chauncey Golston to go round three, even though we like his game. Good to see Ernest Brown going in round five when there wasn't much chatter about him. A guy we've talked about a lot on the show, a guy we like. Tony, isn't that right? Yeah, I I mean, uh, I think
0: Basham, people are going to come back and wish they had selected Basham much earlier because he's such a terrific player. Uh, Malik, Malik Herring was highly rated, but he had a massive injury. He suffered a significant injury. At the uh, senior bowl, he was walking around with, with a boot on his leg. So, really, there weren't too many surprises at the uh, defensive line position.
1: I didn't think there were too many surprises at the linebacker position either. Yeah, and we're moving on to the linebacker position here where, I mean, really, Jeremiah Owosu-Koromo, who we discussed earlier, a guy that everyone expected to go in the first round, obviously fell in, you know, it, based on talent, he can crush this draft stock. But, you know, it's 40-time, medicals, lots of things. Uh, for me, though, the surprise at linebacker, Dylan Moses going completely undrafted signed by Jacksonville after the draft. And we didn't mention Jacksonville in our six teams earlier. We probably could have a strong draft for the Jags, but obviously they had a lot of draft capital to go along with that, but they really improved their roster. Uh, This signing too. uh, I did, see that Moses is going to start on the non-football injury list to rehab his knee. And this is the knee he hurt in 2019, the same knee he played all of 2020 on. So that's saying that the knee is still an issue. That's obviously the reason that he went undrafted and was certainly a big concern for teams. But is it enough of a concern to fall all the way out of the draft? To me, based on his talent and what he's shown before, I think he was worth at the very least a third-day pick.
0: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, obviously, if they get him healthy, That will be a find. I was slightly surprised that Jabril Cox fell out of day two of the draft. I thought he could go late round two at the very latest round three. Uh, But the Cowboys, I think that was probably one of the best picks the Cowboys made all
1: weekend. Absolutely. They they, they did a lot of head-scratching types of things. Uh, Moving to the cornerback position where J.C. Horn over Patrick Sertan surprised many. But you can definitely argue that Horn played better in 2020. Now, moving on to one of Dallas's very head-scratching picks. Nashawn Wright from Oregon State going late in round three. That shocked pretty much everybody. I know, Tony, at least you had him ranked in your top 150, but I don't know that there were that many people that had him ranked even that high. Uh, Even still, probably available in a round or two to Dallas, like you mentioned with Alex Leatherwood to the Raiders. Good to see Cam Bidem go in the top 125. Kind of weird to see Shakur Brown and Trill Williams go undrafted, though, with how many cornerbacks were selected and generally are selected in a typical year. You'd think those guys would have been worth a pick, but... I guess not in the eyes of the NFL. Well, I had Wright graded as a late fourth
0: rounder. Uh, He's got excellent size, terrific length. He showed good ball skills. He's got a lot of upside, but I would agree round three was a little bit early. Shakur Brown, I was disappointed he wasn't drafted. I thought he absolutely deserved to be selected in day three. Poor 40 times during pro day workouts. He couldn't break four sixes uh, at pro day workouts. And he only comes in at five, nine and a half, but still the guy can ball out. He's got terrific cover skills. I was glad to see Darren Hall being selected as early as he was in the fourth round. I thought he absolutely deserved it. His, uh, I had him graded a little bit later, but his film absolutely
1: screams, uh, you know, early part of day three. Our final position over to the safeties. And for the second straight year, no safeties drafted in the first round. Not a surprise this year though, after last year, we kind of expected somebody to end up in the first round. Javon Holland being the top safety off the board and Trevon Merrick being the third seven picks later. That, was a little surprising. Obviously our boy, Richie Grant went right in between to Atlanta, Brandon Stevens out of SMU in round three was a big surprise, but does show signs of being a player who could defend both the run and the pass. If he does prove to be able to do that at the NFL level, the pick will turn out just fine. Not really a lot of other shocking stuff at the safety position here, Tony, what do you make of it all? Well, I think the shocking thing for me was the jets take two uh, safeties, Nisraeli
0: Dean of, uh, of Florida state and, and Sherwood of uh, Auburn, and they're going to move him to linebacker. And then the Jets lose out on Ben Mason uh, of Michigan, which I thought was a big mistake. I was glad to see uh, Derek Foster uh, be selected. Uh, glad to see Richie Grant come off the board second as I had him in my uh, rankings. Uh, Darius Washington, terrific player, but when you're 5'7", and you barely run it under 4'7", during pro day, you're running the mid four sixes. that's going to kill your draft
1: stock. And that's it for the 186th episode of the draft analyst presented by bet online and the belief sports podcast network. Do you believe if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review and feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. We'll be back next week to start our additional draft recaps, but until then on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi, and we'll talk to you soon.